You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, you can be seated there where you are. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Well, today is one of the kind of defining days in the history of our church. It's one of those massively important days for our church family. It is Commitment Sunday. And if you are a guest with us, if this is your first time to be at Stonegate, I think you have picked a great day to be here. I'm so glad that you're here today. It's a day where you're going to witness um, people in our church family um, getting to that line of faith. And, and been, we've been wrestling with the Lord for a good while about what our generosity is going to look like. And this is the day where those in our church family are going to decide on that one number that represents glad-hearted, sacrificial, faith-filled sort of generosity over the next two years of their life. So you're going to get to witness that and to be a part of that. Now, in our church family, our um, kiddos, so our preschoolers and our children's ministry, they, they had their commitment Sunday last Sunday. So they got a chance to kind of go first in that sort of regard last Sunday. And our students had a chance to commit this last Wednesday, four four days ago. And so I want to start our service off by showing you a video that kind of captures some of what happened both in our students uh, a week ago and our uh, our children a week ago and our students um, on Wednesday. So why don't you take a second and look up at the video um, at this. Isn't that great to see the stories of our little kiddos learning what it means to give with open hands to the Lord? You know, when I think about All In, it is more than a set of sermons that we're doing. It's more than a two-year generosity initiative. Um, what, What All In really is, is it's a moment in our church's life where we're asking the Lord to take all of us, 100% of those who call Stonegate home, we're asking for the Lord to take all of us to that point of faith, to show us what does it mean to really walk by faith? What does it mean to open up our lives and to trust you like that? that? That's the number one goal that we have as a church family in this particular season of our church's life. And what I love about that video is when we're talking about all in, we mean like all of us like young, old, back, all backgrounds, all phases of life, all circumstances, we mean all of us going all in. And I love that that video shows that all the way down from the littlest of us in our church family to the tallest of us. We're, we're all going all in because it's, it's about this journey of all of us learning what does it mean to, to walk by faith. That's the primary goal. The secondary goal is a generosity goal. Um, that we would get $6 million over the next two years to do three very important things, to cultivate our ongoing ministry. And the Lord is doing good ministry work here, that the Lord would use this season to cultivate that ongoing ministry work, that we would be able to plant the gospel. And thirdly, that we would put down roots with another facility um, on our Walnut Grove and 287 property that we have. And so those goals are really important, both of them. This idea of, God, will you please teach us what does it mean to walk by faith? That's the big overarching, most important goal, secondary goal, that the Lord would give us enough money to make this transition out to the new property. Both of them are very important. And both of these two goals are setting our church family up for the next 20, 30, 40 years of gospel ministry. This moment is that important in the life of our church. So in light of that, I want to take a few minutes out of John 6 to prep you for whatever it is that the Lord would have for you today um, as we make our commitment. So John chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I want to take the first 14 verses in four parts. We're going to take it in four uh, parts uh, fairly briefly. So here is part one. John chapter chapter 6, the first several verses are part one. And we might call this first part of the story the setup. 
the setup. And here's how it goes. Starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So just get your bearings on what's happening so far. There is a massive crowd following Jesus. Okay, we're going to learn here in a few minutes that it had 5,000 men in it, which meant that it probably had a total of fifteen to 20,000 people when you count women and children. So you've got a massively large crowd that's following Jesus. And Jesus has taken his disciples up on this hillside, and it's there on the hillside that Jesus is saying, this is the time and place right here in this moment. This is the moment where I want to teach you disciples a massively important lesson. I want to teach you the lesson of what it means to walk by faith. So then we keep reading in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Can I just... Put yourself in the shoes of Philip for a moment here. Jesus has created the scenario that, that's crazy for, for Philip. He's looking at Philip and saying, hey, do you see these 15, 20,000 people that are all starving to death? They're all hungry. And then he looks at Philip and says, hey, Philip, we're going to have to do something about that. What are we going to do? We've got to get on food. Do you see the scenario? He has put Philip in a scenario that you could only call impossible. I mean, if, if you're Philip and I'm Philip, we're looking back at Jesus and we're saying, Jesus, there is no way I have the capacity to track down food and drink for this many people. That is an impossibility. I don't have the ability to do what you're asking. It's impossible. Now the question comes, why? That's the setup. Jesus has put Philip in the impossible situation. Now the question becomes, why in the world would Jesus do that? Why would, why would Jesus put Philip in a situation that Philip has no capacity to do it? But why would Jesus put Philip in a scenario where what Philip can see and do cannot meet the need in front of him? We have to keep reading. And this is where we get to the next part of the story. If the first part of the story is the setup, the second part of the story, starting in verse 6, is the test. It's the test. Look at verse 6. Jesus said this to test him. So let's just go back to verse five for a second. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? That's verse five. Verse six, Jesus said that to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip, uh, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Okay, so Jesus is pulling back the lens. He's pulling back the curtains. He's, he's allowing us to kind of peer inside what he's up to in this moment. And Jesus is alerting us to this reality. He's alerting us to the fact that this is not a, like an aimless moment. But this moment has purpose. Philip just doesn't find himself in an impossible scenario. Jesus has on purpose placed Philip in that impossible scenario. It is Jesus who has strategically orchestrated this whole set of events. 15, 20,000 people are hungry. Philip in this moment, and he's looking at Philip, creating this whole scenario and saying to Philip, how are we going to feed him? Now, what is Jesus up to here? What is Jesus doing? He is taking Philip on this journey that he takes every follower of his on. This is one of the biggest things Jesus has to do in all of our lives. He is teaching Philip what it looks like to live by faith. 
This is what he's doing in this passage. He is showing Philip, teaching Philip, expanding faith in Philip. This is the moment that the Lord has created for Philip to expand his faith in this moment, this story. Here's what it's about. This story is about Jesus breaking Philip, Philip's mind. I mean, the way he thinks, it's breaking Philip's mind out of the prison of what Philip can see and do in his life. And it's Jesus freeing him from that and walking him out into the wide open plains of what Jesus can see and do in Philip's life. That is the journey of faith. That is what he is doing in this moment. He's breaking Philip out of the constraints that he has always lived with. And here's the constraints. I've got to be able to see it and do it for me to jump into it. And Jesus is saying, no, that is living by sight. I want you to live by faith. And here's what it means to live by faith. You have to start living in such a way where you are leaning into what I can see and what I can do in your life. Now, remember what faith is. This is going to be on the screen for you. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God and his promises. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God and his promises. And after our conversion, after the moment that Jesus saves us, after the moment where we are initially rescued and redeemed by Jesus, after that moment, the most important moments in our life with God are moments just like this where he grows and deepens and expands our faith. The number one business in every follower of Jesus' life. So if you're in the family of God, if you're like tracking with Jesus and you're following Jesus, the number one business of your life is to learn what it means to walk by faith. The number one business of your life is to learn what does it mean to venture all on God, to go all in with God. It's the number one business of our lives. Now, the question in, in this passage that I love because it answers it for us is how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus grow and deepen our faith? How does, what is the process the Lord uses for that? Verse six answers it. How does Jesus grow and deepen our faith? How, how does the Lord do that? Verse six, he said this, to test him. The answer, how, how does Jesus grow and deepen our faith? The answer is by testing. This is how the Lord grows a rich, vibrant, robust life of faith in every one of his followers. Okay, now let's just think through uh, again, what does it mean for the Lord to test us? We talked about this a little bit in week one of the All In series. So a test is the moment in our life where the promises of God are on this side. So we have a promise from God over here. On the other side is what we can see right now. And the two don't go together. So let's just take this in, uh, in John chapter 6. The promise is Jesus is saying to Philip, I am sovereign. I am the God who can turn, you know, water to wine. I'm the God who can make that stone bread if I want to. I'm that God. I'm all powerful. I can do whatever, Philip. I can do whatever. So that's the promise. And then here is the other side. This is the obedience side. This is the other side where Philip's looking around and thinking, but I'm, I'm seeing 15 or 20,000 people that are all hungry and a Brookshire's wouldn't solve this problem right now. It, it wouldn't work. Do you see that this is what creates a test? It's when the promise of God on this side doesn't correspond with obedience on this side. It just doesn't seem like these could go together and be a match for one another. You know what your life has hit a test when that has happened, where the promises of God on one side and obedience on the other side just don't seem to go very well. In week one, we said it like this. 
These will be on the screen for you. We said a test occurs when you can't see how the promises of God will fit into your life flourishing. So just picture it like this. So God has given us a promise that, that I love you. You're a son or you're, you're a daughter of mine. I'm a good dad to you. A test happens in that moment where we look at God and we know that promise that he says he loves us. But then we look at our life and we're like, but why do I have cancer if you love me? There's your test. But, but why has this loved one died if you love me? Why are these things happening in my life if you love me? There's the test. A test occurs when your wisdom seems more trustworthy than God's wisdom in your life. Think about the rich young ruler for this. Uh, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit you know, eternal life? And Jesus at the end looks at him and says, okay, well, how about this? Why don't you go and sell everything, give everything away and come and follow me? And in that moment, the rich young ruler could not do it. He could not move in faith because his wisdom for his life looked better than and more trustworthy than Jesus's wisdom in his life. And you know, anytime your wisdom begins to, to run contrary to God's wisdom, you're at a moment of testing. Thirdly, a test occurs when obedience to Jesus goes directly against what you want for your life. You know you've hit a test when that moment has happened. When obedience to Jesus is on this side and what you want for your life is on this side. So let's just say if you're a single lady in here and you so desperately want to be married. I mean, like more than anything in the world, you want to be married. And you finally hit that moment of like, God, why aren't you doing this? And in response to that, rather than like humbly submitting and, and throwing your life in faith upon Jesus who knows good for you, you decide that I'm going to do whatever it requires to get, to get a guy. I'm gonna do whatever it requires to get married. I'll give whatever it takes to get married. That moment is a test. Fourthly, a test occurs when obedience to Jesus leads to a kind of death that will require some sort of resurrection. When obedience to Jesus will require some sort of a death that will require God in a supernatural way to resurrect it. This was the story of Abraham. If you remember that in Genesis, um, starting in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm gonna make a promise to you, Abraham. You're gonna be a great, your descendants are gonna be a great nation. And then God finally gives them the, the offspring, Isaac, who the promise is gonna be through. Isaac is the promise. And so you've got the promise on one side and then all of a sudden the Lord comes and says, but here's what obedience is gonna look like for you, Abraham. I want you to march your kid up the mountain and I want you to slay the promise. And Abraham moves in faith. And here's what faith looked like for Abraham. It looked like him believing that even if obedience requires this death, the Lord is going to meet me in that moment and resurrect something to bring about that promise. But you know you have hit a test when that promise and obedience would require some sort of a death that would actually require a supernatural resurrection. Number five, a test occurs when you have to make a jump toward the Lord that you know could kill you. I mean, you're, you're kind of jumping off into the abyss. And when you look down at the abyss, it's like there's jagged rocks down there that could kill me if I fall. It, it, a test occurs when you have to make a jump toward the Lord that could kill you before you know how the Lord's going to catch you. That's a test. But most moments of testing do not have the end written for you before you jump. I mean, part of what makes a test a test is it feels like you actually might die if you do that. 
That's what makes it a test that you don't know how it is that the Lord's going to come and rescue you if you take that plunge with him. That's how you know you have hit a test. And hear me on this. It is only through embracing those moments in our life that a life of faith will actually grow in us. It's only in those moments of the Lord presenting a test to us and us embracing and stepping into that moment and actually taking that plunge with the Lord. It's only when we do that that the Lord grows a vibrant, deep, rich sort of faith in us. I mean, just, let me just pose the hypothetical question to you this morning. Do you want to grow in your faith you want to grow in like a rich, deep, vibrant faith with the Lord. The only way to do that is to embrace these sort of moments of testing. It's the only way it happens. Now, this is what all in, this season is, all, is for all of us. It is a moment where we are looking at the Lord, like we're fastening on our seatbelt, and then we're looking at the Lord and saying, God, do whatever it takes to grow that sort of deep, rich, vibrant faith in me. Whatever it takes, will you please take me there? Will you do that? And one of the things that the Lord is going to use in this season for everyone in this room, everyone who calls Stonegate home, one of the things he is going to use is our generosity. This particular two-year season is a moment in our church's life where generosity is going to be one of the tests that the Lord creates for us. Because we're all saying to the Lord right now, God, we're going to be, be open-handed. We're going to come to you with openness. And you get to make the call on what our generosity looks like. And then we, in an act of obedience, we're going to take the plunge with you into that. So this is going to be one of the things that the Lord is going to use. And I want to say this again. This is a massively important moment for our church. It's a massively important moment for you as an individual follower of Jesus. It's important on all of those levels. It is setting up ministry for you and your life for the next 20, 30, 40 years and our church for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Like what's happening right now in this room today is gonna be doing all of those things. So the third part or the second part of the story is the test. Then we get to the third part of the story. So part one is the setup, part two is the test, part three is the life of faith. And look at verse 8. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There is a boy over here, there's a boy here, who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, it's a big contrast, but, yes, he has those, but what are they for so many? Now just track with the story again. So just think about the story from the 30,000 foot level. A huge crowd's following Jesus. They're all coming toward him. Jesus looks at Philip and says, Philip, we're gonna do something about this. What are you gonna do? We gotta find bread for him. Philip, get after it. Find some bread. Let's feed these people. It's this impossible scenario that he creates for Philip. And Philip in response is like, Man, Brookshire's would not do it. We would need more than a grocery store here to do this. It's not going to work. It's beyond my capacity. And then all of a sudden, Andrew pipes up and says, but I, I just found this boy. Here, here's the food that we have to deal with here. This is all we've got to make it happen with. A couple of fish, five loaves. That's what we've got. And then Andrew is like, there is no way that's going to be helpful at all for us in this moment. Okay, now I want to take you and just put you into the shoes of the boy for a second. Because ironically, he is the person in the story who expresses the great faith. So just put yourself in the shoes of the boy for just a moment. And ask yourself, what would you be thinking if you were the boy? 
Because here's what I would be thinking if I were the boy. I'm overhearing a lot of this conversation. I know we got a lot of people hungry and I've got the only food and it is like a lunch size food. I've got two pieces of fish and I've got five loaves of bread. I I just know that's not gonna go very far with with 20,000 people. So put yourself in the shoes and you ask yourself, what would you do? I'll just tell you what I would do. This would be the default response of my heart would go in one of two ways. Way number one is I would be looking at all these hungry people and this, you know, little lunch that I have here. And I would be thinking, those two fish and those five loaves are about to get really expensive for somebody. Somebody is paying, supply and demand is going in my direction right now. This is about to get really expensive. That would be one way. The other part of me would look at that and say, why would I give that? That that would be the dumbest thing I could possibly think of. Two fish and five loaves aren't going to help 20,000 people. Not gonna help them. It's not gonna go far enough to help. It's just not gonna be worth it. And and even more so, if I give my two fish and five loaves, I'm gonna starve to death with those 20,000 people. There's no way I'm doing that. Why would I give that? That's where my heart would go. But aren't we grateful in this story that's not where this little boy's heart goes? In this story, the little boy, he brings his two fish and five loaves, his just moment of sacrifice. He brings his his sacrifice to the Lord and says, Jesus, I'm gonna give this to you and you can do whatever you want with it. I don't know what you're gonna do with it. I don't really see how you could do anything with it. You do whatever you want with these two fish and these five loaves. And let's read how the story goes. Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. He takes these two fish and five loaves. Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, 15 to 20,000 people total. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill. 15, 20,000 people eat their fill. He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Is that not unbelievable? You've got this moment of faith. It's, it's this little boy saying to Jesus, here are my two fish and five loaves. I have no idea what you're going to do with that or how you could actually use that to help in this moment. Jesus takes those two fish and five loaves. He blesses them. And all of a sudden, that one moment of generosity turns into a great meal for 15 to 20,000 people. Is that not unbelievable? It makes me think of the early days in the life of our church family. Um, We started Stonegate with a crew of about 20 to 25 people in a living room. Um, I've got a picture of just some of those early little days. Like it was that living room like that, about 25 people in that little living room. And and we had this great moment really early on in the life of our church. We, We basically started kind of core group meetings in May of 2009. We were gonna try to plant and actually start the church in August of 2009. So we had a two or three month period there to do this. And, uh, and, and there was one moment when we were about six weeks away from actually starting the church, like launching it on a Sunday morning, where I looked at that living room full of people and said, if, if we're going to start this, if we're actually going to launch Stonegate Church, we need fifty dollars to $60,000 to do that. We can't do it until we have that. And it's like, man, there's not like someone coming to the rescue in that moment. No one's about to swoop down. It's like those of us in this room 
It's going to be on us to, to take this moment of faith, to step through this door, to, to offer a moment of just sacrificial generosity to the Lord. It's on us to do that. That crew, one of the most humbling moments of my life, that little crew of people stepped into that moment and six weeks later, Stonegate Church began. Now, I, I want you to go back to that living room in that moment with me six years ago though. And I want you to just imagine me looking at, at that crew of people and saying to them, hey, what do you think the Lord's gonna do with this moment of faith? Like, here's the moment. Like the Lord has this door in front of us and we're gonna give sacrificially in this moment to make this thing go. And we're gonna step through this door of faith. What do you think the Lord has on the other side of that door of faith for us? What do you think the Lord's gonna do with this? With, with our little two fish and five loaves, what do you think the Lord's gonna bring about? I don't think anyone in that room would have said, you know what I see in Stonegate today, six and a half years later, that's what it was gonna bring about. No one would have said that. It's a, we're all in that moment thinking, man, we're just giving our little bit to, to make this thing go. And we have no idea. There's no way we could have foreseen that the Lord would do this with that. Now, ironically, we're six years in now. And I think the Lord has us at, just at an identical place. We're at the very same point in the life of our church. But this time, it's not me talking to 20 or 25 people in a living room. It's me talking to about 900 people this morning. And it's me looking at the same church family, that's just a bigger version of it now. And it's me saying, if we're going to take the next step forward as a church family, it's going to require at least $6 million. It's going to require all of that to do it. It's going to require sacrificial, faith-filled generosity from every one of us in the room. It's going to require that if we're going to take the next step. Now, I, I want you just to go from that moment now, and let's just dream for a second. Let's just fast forward 10 years in our lives. So now it's not 2016, it's 2026. And now we get the chance to look back on the last decade. We get, to, we get to a chance to look at, you know, in 2016, we walked through this door of faith and now we're getting the chance to look at what's on the other side of that door. What, what's been the 10 year history since walking through that door of faith, you know, in 2016. And you know, I don't know all that the Lord's gonna do in us and with us, but I think it's gonna be just head turning. I think it's gonna be a stunning view of the grace of God just displayed in the context of a church. And you know what we're gonna be thinking in 2026? I can't believe, just like those who were there in that first living room, we're getting the chance now to be in this living room. And I think we're gonna be saying the exact same thing. I cannot believe the Lord took that moment of sacrificial faith-filled generosity and did that with it. I can't believe, I can't believe he did that in my own life. I can't believe he did that in the life of our church. I can't believe the Lord did that. I think just like this little boy, we're all gonna stand there stunned one day as we look at how the Lord has taken this moment and multiplied it in the kingdom of God. That's the life of faith. Now we get to the last point, the last part of the story, part four of the story. And this is the result What's the culmination of this story? Look at verse 14. The story culminates right here in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is him. Verse 14 is the culminating part of the story. So just think about the story as a whole. The Lord arranges a impossible scenario, 15, 20,000 people hungry. All they've got is two fish and five loaves. This little boy gives his two fish and five loaves. The Lord does a miracle and turns it into lunch for all of these people. 
And then the people see this miracle go down. They see the Lord do something supernatural and it turns all of their gaze away from the temporal and it turns it and sets the crowd's gaze upon Jesus and it begins to dawn on him. It begins to dawn on the crowd that this is the son of God. This is the one that we have been waiting for. This is the Messiah. This is the redeemer and rescuer. This is the one. See, this is what faith always does. Faith always glorifies Jesus. Faith always makes much of Jesus. Romans 4 makes this connection just so clear. Our faith always glorifies Jesus. Every time we trust in Jesus, we make much of Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Every time you trust in Jesus, you make much of Jesus. I love how one pastor said it. He said, lives of faith are the great mirror of the dependability of God. Lives of faith are the great mirror of the dependability of God. Every time you walk in faith, you're holding up a mirror. And everyone around you is seeing, when you walk in faith, everyone around you is seeing, that's how dependable God is. That is how trustworthy God is. This is how good God is. This is how much you can trust God. Every time you walk in faith, that's what's happening. I used this analogy in week one, and I just want to bring us back to this because this has really been one of my hopes and prayers is that we would all see this, this moment. I, I want you to think about a, uh, and just picture a two or three-year-old boy. He walks into a backyard for the first time and sees a swimming pool. That moment goes down. And he walks up to the pool and he's just terrified. He's like, this is the first time I've seen a pool. It's the first time that I've seen like, man, I could jump into water over my head and I could drown. So he's just having this moment of being so fearful as he looked at the water and just, he just didn't know what to think about it. And then all of a sudden his dad jumps into the water and his dad's in the water and he looks at his two, three-year-old boy and he's saying to his boy, man, jump in. Hey, I'm going to catch you. You can trust me. I'm a good daddy to you. You jump in. I'm going to be right there with you. But you've got to jump if you're going to experience it. You've, you've got to make the plunge if you want the refreshing experience of, of feeling my dependability in this moment. You've got to take the plunge to get there. Now ask yourself, how would the boy show off his dad's dependability and strength? Here's how he would do it. He would get to the edge of the pool. He would listen to the promises of his dad. He would fight against fear and that voice of the flesh in him. And he would hear those promises again and he would jump toward his dad. In that moment when he jumps, he is showing, my dad is trustworthy. You can trust my dad. Like if my dad says it, my dad's gonna do it. He's trustworthy, he's dependable. You can trust him too. Now let's just think about this story in, in light of our lives. We are the kid. We, we are the two-year-old. And how we glorify God, how we make much of God, how we exalt the dependability of God, how we show off the goodness of God is we get to the edge of the pool, just like the little two-year-old, we're the kid, and we listen to the promises of our dad. And even when it's terrifying to do it, we take that jump toward our dad. And in that moment, we get the refreshing experience of feeling the goodness and dependability and the wisdom of a good daddy in our life. Now, let's answer it the other way. How would, how would the little boy not show off his dad? 
How would the little boy not glorify his dad? The little boy would not glorify his dad if he gets up to the edge of the pool and his dad's saying, trust me, you can jump. I'm going to catch you. Just jump. I'm going to be here. The, the boy would not be showing off the dependability of his dad if in that moment he, he, he hears his dad, he looks at the pool, and he begins to, to come back from the, from the edge of the pool. And he looks at his dad and says, dad, I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to do it. See, what's happening in that moment? In that moment, he is saying, my dad can't catch me. My dad won't catch me. There is no way that's going to happen. So, so don't be fooled about jumping into that pool and trusting that daddy. Don't do that. Do you see the picture? See, in every moment of faith like this, when the Lord calls us over to the edge of the pool and he tells us to jump, I'll catch you. We have such a beautiful opportunity in that moment to make much of Jesus to show the world just how dependable and trustworthy and good our daddy is. Now, that is what this season has been about. It has been about the Lord getting us to the edge of that pool for the Lord to offer all of his promises to us and to urge us to jump. That's what it's been about. And let me just define what it looks like. This is what a life of faith looks like. The Lord calls us over to the edge. He tells us what to do. And then we jump, trusting that he's going to catch us. So let me just be as clear as I can in defining what that experience of that, like being called to the edge of the pool and then jumping, what that actually feels like. Let me use concrete language to describe that. It feels like two things happening in our lives. There's two things that are embedded into a life of faith. There's two things embedded into the Lord calling us to the edge of the pool and then jumping in with him. The first thing is an openness to Jesus. This is one of the key ingredients of a life of faith, an openness to Jesus. Now, let me describe how most of us want to interact with Jesus. We don't want to be, naturally, in and of ourselves, we do not want to be open to Jesus. This is how most of us interact with Jesus. We have a safety deposit box in our life. And in that safety deposit box, we put everything we're really looking to for life in that box. Everything we're really depending on for security in that box. Everything that we're really banking on to make our life okay, we put that in the safety deposit box. And then we lock that safety deposit box and we set it behind us. And then we come to the Lord and we say, now let's talk about the things that are negotiable. These things are not negotiable, so let's not even bring those up. But these things that are left, they're the things that are negotiable. What would you like to do with these things? Now hear me on this. This is how most of us want to act, interact with the Lord. And I want to describe what that is. That, 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 what I just described, here's the stuff that I'm really looking to for life. It's back here. Now let's talk about what's negotiable. That is what you call barricading yourself from the Lord. That is what you call hanging no trespassing signs in your heart. That, that is what you call setting up a barricade and telling the Lord, you can come this far, God, but you can't come past that. That is barricading yourself from the Lord. What it means to be open to the Lord is we come back here and we do the scary work of grabbing that safety deposit box, opening that thing up and pulling everything out of that box that we look to for life. And we put that on the table. Here's what we look to for security. We put that on the table. Here's what we look to to really make our life go. We put that on the table. And then we come to the Lord and we say, God, what would you want us to do with this? And in light of that, what is generosity going to look like? What is my life going to look like in light of all of these things being before you? What do you want for these things? Now, here is how you know if you have actually opened up your life to the Lord and taken down the barricades. 
Here's how you know if you've actually gotten your safety deposit box and put it before the Lord too. You're going to feel two things really, really deeply. You're gonna feel fear and just, a, it's scary. It is scary to do that. You're gonna feel fear on one side and you're gonna feel just a strange warmth and an openness to the Lord that you've probably never felt in your life before. You're gonna love him in ways that you've never loved him. You're gonna know him in ways that you've never known him. But it's gonna be both of those. You're gonna know more of God and you're going to be scared to death. It is scary to bring out all of those things. See, in the moment of being open to the Lord, here, here's what that moment creates. It is putting a nail in the coffin over your control of your life. And it is saying, God, you actually get to be in control of my life. That is scary for all of us in the room, by the way, to open up to the Lord like that. It's scary because here's what we all know about Jesus. If you know Jesus at all in the room, here's what you know about him. He loves us all enough to rip our lives to shreds to get all of our hearts. That if he has to rip our lives to shreds, he'll do that if that means him getting all of us. This is what makes it scary. This is why in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis pictures Jesus as Aslan the lion. And a lion is not a safe creature, is it? I mean, if you've read the book, it's good, but it's not safe. I, mean, I love that moment where Mr. Beaver is asked the question in Chronicles of Narnia, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver responds back, are you kidding me? Did you really ask me if Aslan is safe? No, he's not safe. No to that, but he is good. He is, he's gonna do you good. He's not safe. He's not under your control. He's not a tamed animal. You don't have him under your control. Jesus is in your control. Or Jesus, he's got you in his control. See, that's the whole dynamic of faith. But that's why it's so scary. It's so scary to be open like that to the Lord because you just don't know how it's all gonna turn out yet. You just don't know. But hear me on that. As scary as it is, openness to the Lord is where life with Jesus begins. Openness to the Lord is where life with God begins. It's where faith begins. It's where it all starts is being open. So this is what this, this life of faith looks like. One, on one side, it's being open to the Lord. Everything in our life is open before him. Here's the second thing this life of faith looks like though. It looks like obedience to Jesus. See, part one is we open up everything in our life to the Lord. Even our safety deposit box is out and it's open before the Lord. And then we look at the Lord and we say, God, what would you want? What would you want? And hear me, whatever the Lord says, here's the life of faith. We say, oh my gosh, that feels so scary. And we hear his promises and we take the plunge into the pool with him. That's what a life of faith looks like. An openness to the Lord, then we hear from the Lord, and then we respond by throwing our life into the pool, trusting that right there at the point of faith, he is going to catch us. That is what it means to be open to the Lord. That's what it means to, be, to walk by faith. That's been the goal of this whole season of our church's life is for our church family to go there, to figure out what it means to jump into that pool, open ourselves up and figure out what it means to, to respond in obedience as we jump toward Jesus. Now, here's the great thing. This has been, for me, one of the, the greatest things to see in my pastoral life so far. I've been doing this for 15 years. This has been one of the, the most humbling seasons I've ever had as a pastor. And here's why it's been so humbling. It's because we have story after story after story of people in this church family opening up their life to the Lord, hearing from the Lord. And as scary as it is that they're hearing the Lord say, jump, I'm gonna get you jumped into the pool. And they have taken that, that plunge. 
They have moved in faith with the Lord. That is happening over and over and over again. One of my favorite stories was a couple of weeks ago, I, I just bumped into a guy in the hallway and he said, I am scared to death, but here's the commitment I'm making to Jesus right now. I'm gonna open everything up to him and whatever he says, I'm gonna do it. I'm like, that's what we're going for right there. That's where we are. That's the whole point of this is for all of us to get right there to that point of faith. And so can you just hear this? At the end of the day, if we all got there, if 100% of us went there with the Lord, do you know what I think would happen at Stonegate Church? I think revival would break out right here in this church family. If we all had the guts to go there with God. Now, a week ago this last Friday night, we, you know, if you've been here you know, over the last several weeks, you've heard us talk about Advanced Commitment Night, where we ask anyone in our church family who wanted to go first in modeling an openness to the Lord on one hand and then obedience on the other hand as you take the plunge with him, we would love to have you at Advanced Commitment Night. So a week ago this last Friday, we had a couple hundred people in our church family do that with us. We got together on a Friday night. We, we prayed together for a while. We listened to the word for a while. And then as a, as a crew of people, we went first in modeling. Man, we're open. We're hearing from you, God. And we are taking that plunge with you. So I would love to show you a brief video of how some of those stories played out. And it's going to be up on the screen for you from Advanced Commitment Night. Yeah, those are just a few of the many great stories that have been going on inside the context of our church over the last several months. And so we are to the point now where it is time to grab that commitment card under your seat. And I just want to walk you through a couple of things on it. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be great. And just as a quick uh, word for all of those who are at the Advanced Commitment Night, we're wanting you to go again with us today so that you would be an active participant in today. So I would love for you to, to do everything again with us um, today. So if you'll take that card, let me just point out a, a couple of things. And as you're grabbing it, let me just make this point first. This moment matters. It really does matter. It matters in your life personally. I don't know what the Lord has behind this particular door of faith when you step through it. Um, but but I, I think the Lord is just so often in our lives calling us toward that. He's saying, if you just knew what was behind that door, if you would just take that plunge into the water, you would see and know me in ways that you have never seen and know me. And so th there's a lot on the line for you personally as a human being and as a follower of Jesus. And there is so much on the line for us as a church family. There are going to be literally thousands and thousands of people who don't know Jesus yet, who are going to be moving to this area. And us setting up a base for mission on 287 and, and Walnut Grove, that is going to be the means of reaching many of them. Many of them who don't know Jesus yet, who are not rescued and redeemed by Jesus yet, the Lord's going to, going to use th this whole thing for their rescue. He's going to use all of it for that. And he's going to grow them up. And he's going to, we're, hopefully by God's grace, we get to send them out. We're going to have future church planters that aren't even Christians yet. that are one day going to get to be sent out. And it's all going to be tied back to this moment in our lives, in our church's life. So there's so much on the, on the line. This moment matters. It matters so, so much for you and for our collective church family. And, and let me just reiterate that when you're thinking about what you're about to write down, I want to just be as clear as I can. It is one number that represents sacrificial, glad-hearted generosity over the next two years of your life. It's, it's that number. So it's not what you would say is like, man, this is the extra that the Lord would have me give. It's the total amount over the next two years that you're going to be giving to Stonegate. It's that number that would take you to that point of faith in your life. 
Now, for some in the room, this is gonna be one of your first moments for you to give toward a church or maybe towards Stonegate. And I just wanna tell you, just as a pastor here, that we're so encouraged by that. I think I, I'm just so proud of you in that moment. I think the Lord has so many great things for you behind that door of faith of that first initial sort of commitment to giving. And I cannot wait to see how the Lord meets you in that. And, and just as, you know, some friendly sort of like encouragement on that, the, the Lord seldom meets us in the ways that we would think beforehand. So he's gonna meet you. I just don't know what that's gonna look like yet. I can't wait to see it. For others in the room, you have been giving for a long time consistently to churches and to ministries and to Jesus. You've been doing that for a long time. And this is gonna be one of those moments in your life where the Lord is looking at you and he's calling you away from like giving out of just your excess. And he is looking at you now and he's saying, I want you to give in a way that's actually going to change you. That's gonna make you different at the end of two years. It's gonna make you know me in a different way. You're gonna think differently in the next, because of the next two years. I want you to give like that. Now for some in the room, that's gonna mean a four digit number. For some in the room, that's gonna be a five digit number. For some in the room, that will be a six digit number. And for some in the room, that will be a seven digit number. And here is my encouragement to everyone in the room. Here's the goal. We open ourselves up to the Lord. We get to the edge of the pool and we listen. God, would you clarify what, what is that that you would want from me? And regardless of what that is, here's, here's the job of all of us is to move in faith and to jump toward Jesus in obedience. That, that's the number one goal in this moment of our church's life right now. Hearing from the Lord, responding in obedience. And lastly, if you'll look up at the screen, I, I wanna just show you what that commitment card looks like on the inside. And I wanna make a couple of points about it. For all the blanks above that box, if they're helpful for you, great. So it kind of gives you like how to think about an annual total, multiply that times two for a two-year total. Think about the stored resources that the Lord has already entrusted to you and what you'd wanna give out of that. That could be one way to get to the blue line, which is your two-year total commitment to Stonegate. Um, but the important thing is, is not that you fill out all of the blanks above it. The, if, there's, if they're helpful, great. If they're not, that's okay too. The important thing is, is that you fill out the blue line there, which is your two-year total giving to Stonegate over the next two years. That, that place of faith, that, that's the most important one. Now we had some of our people at the advanced commitment night not do the things below that line. It is also really important that we get the stuff below that line so we can help keep track of all of that. So you need to make sure you fill out your name, phone number, email, all that good stuff so we can confirm all that and, and encourage you over the next couple of years. Okay, so with that said, I wanna give you a couple of moments of silence. So I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and bow your head there where you are and to begin to pray to the Lord and you know, I know that some people came in this morning and you already had a number nailed down. And the Lord has confirmed that number for you this morning. And if that's you, great. It's, man, you, this is a moment just as you're praying that you get to commit that number to the Lord. For others in the room though, you came in with a number and you have felt the Lord nudging you and telling you, we're not yet to the place of faith. It's great, but it's just not yet to the place of faith. And you know the Lord is in the pool and he's saying, I want this from you. And there's just that internal wrestling. And Laura and I had that this morning in the first service. And it was that internal nudging and that wrestling and the Lord saying, I know you came in with one, but you're leaving with a different one. And man, it was, I just can't even tell you how scary that moment was. 
And for others in the room, you came in and you're just barricaded to the Lord. You, you just kind of made that decision already that I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to, to go all in on this. And I'm just, I just want to encourage you. There is so much at stake for you. Don't miss this moment. The Lord is putting a door before you called faith. You walk through that door. The things on the other side are so beautiful. And the Lord is just begging you and urging you to come through that door and trust me over there. So, so here's the goal. What is the Lord saying? Let's move in faithful obedience to Jesus. And here's, here's the thing. When you look down on that card and you nail down that one number of sacrificial generosity, I'm praying that every single one of us deep down would know that number right there, that number is representative of a life that is all in with Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would be speaking and talking and urging and drawing faith out of us right now. Lord, would you please clarify what obedience would look like in each of our lives? Lord, what would, what would get us to that point of faith? And Lord, will you give us the guts to go for it? God, I pray that this would be a moment I'm just reminded of all these moments in the New Testament where you just stop everything that's going and, and you just draw the attention to a particular place and people and you say, do you see that? That's what faith looks like. Do, do you see that? We're going to be talking about that not just for the next few years, but for all eternity. We're going to be talking about that moment of faith. And Father, I pray that you would be calling out in us right now that 
One of those moments that when you see what's about to happen in this room, that heaven would stop and the, and the Lord might just say to heaven, do you see what's going on right there? That's what we're going to be talking about and celebrating for all eternity. So Lord, will you, will you take us there? Will you do that in us? God, will you do that in me? Father, help us. Father, help us right now. Help us be obedient right now. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.